scripture reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 1. We are continuing in this series of messages in Mark. And we are going to start at verse 21. Mark 1, verse 21, I've got on page 1045. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. Isn't it something that they've they've just watched this exorcism? And they're all so amazed that they say, What an amazing teaching. What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up, and the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases, and he also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. This is the word of the Lord. A few weeks ago, I I overheard someone who had had uh, a really bad night of sleep, and uh, someone asked him, they said, you know, what do you, what do you think it was? Um, why, why couldn't you sleep? Uh, I know you've got, you know, headaches and, uh, like, I know you're under a lot of stress right now. Uh, what, do you, what do you think it was? And the man said, uh, actually, actually, I think it was spiritual. In our passage today, we see Jesus uh, cast a demon out of a man. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. Uh, there is a lot that I don't know about mental illness. But, you know, when I read biblical descriptions of demon possession, it's not hard for me to imagine that If I saw these symptoms today, I wouldn't think, ah, demon possession. 
I think, I think maybe, maybe that's a really severe case of schizophrenia. Some kind of multiple personalities disorder. Now, these ailments are certainly very scary. But today, if we observed some of these symptoms, I'm not sure that we would try to exercise a demon. I think we would prescribe drugs. And in fact, we have drugs that are often very helpful. In our story today, when the demon is cast out, the man shakes violently. You know what I thought of when I, when I read that? I thought, that sounds like a seizure. If your best friend reported to you that every so often she was collapsing uh, and even convulsing uncontrollably, you wouldn't exercise her demon. You'd take her to the hospital. In fact, if your only response to her was fervent prayer, and you didn't try to get like a brain scan or something, I think a lot of people would say that you're not just a naive friend, that you are, in fact, a dangerous friend. And yet the Bible has a lot of this. The Gospel of Mark especially has a lot of demon possession. Is this just mental illness? Is this just an ancient culture trying to make sense of symptoms that even today we find alarming? And let's be honest, you know, the demon stuff isn't the only weird thing that happens in our story today. In, in verse 31, Jesus heals Simon's mother of, uh, of a fever by having her stand up. Really? Does it work that way? These stories about Jesus illustrate what I think is probably probably one of the most challenging things about reading the Bible. Now, when you're reading the Bible, the, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to try to figure out, okay, you know, what, what is going on in this passage, sort of then and there? In the first century, you know, how did they read this? What did they think of this? What was going on? What was the context in which it was originally written? You try to figure that out. And sometimes that's pretty hard, but in some cases, it's, it's quite easy compared to the next task, which is to say, okay, now that I've figured out what this passage meant, sort of then and there, well, now what does it mean for me today? What does it mean here and now? What does this ancient story mean for 2013 in Grand Rapids, Michigan? And I ask the question because in three years as your pastor here at Creston Christian Reformed Church, I have exercised no demons. And you know, I, I often pray for your healing, but I have, never, I have never 
ask somebody to, to stand up with the expectation that a fever was about to leave their body. Should I be worried about this? So, I believe that strange, supernatural, spiritual things happen. I've heard too many stories from people that I trust. I've had enough experiences myself. I, I believe that it happens. But I'm not very comfortable with it. You know, there are some people who, who talk about spiritual things as though it's just like a second language. And it seems like it's always sort of coming up and they're really sort of familiar with it, comfortable with it. I, you know, I, I am more comfortable thinking about Jesus. Not as like a miraculous healer or as like a, an exorcist. I am more comfortable thinking about Jesus as like a really great teacher. I mean, I don't doubt that exorcisms and healings and stuff like that, I don't doubt that, that it happened, especially then and there. But here and now, is that what we should be emphasizing? I like to keep these things separate. Then and there, first century, we get some of this kind of crazy supernatural stuff. Here and now, the most important thing, it's like the ethics behind the healings. You know, like, like who does Jesus heal and, and what kind of cultural significance did that have? I like to keep these things separate. Jesus the healer back then. Jesus the great teacher now for us. And you know, I'm not the only one who wants to keep them separate. In our passage today, the demon asks, uh, what do you want with us? Literally what he says is, who are we to you? Who are we to you? Now that phrase, who are we to you, it comes up quite a bit in ancient writing. It's often in a situation where uh, two people are having a disagreement, okay? So Rebecca and Betty are having a disagreement. And, and I come in to like try to like make things right again. And they say, mind your own business. Who are we to you? Stay out of this. See, I think what the demon is saying is he's saying, Jesus, stick with your teaching, man. Right? I mean, Jesus' teaching was blowing people away. Right? The demon is saying, hey, man, stick with that. Leave me alone. This stuff, my stuff, it, it doesn't have anything to do with you. I think I can relate to that demon. You don't always hear your pastor say that, but um, I, I think I can relate to that demon. Let's keep it separate. The supernatural stuff, you know, and the teaching. I was, uh, I was talking to Lauren this week about our passage, and I said, uh, what am I supposed to say about 
demons and healings. And, and I was feeling like um, I should have chosen Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Um, because the, the Gospel of Matthew has way more ethical teaching. Uh, the Gospel of Mark, like in Mark, you know, Jesus actually doesn't give us a lot of his teaching. Um, like there's no Sermon on the Mount in Mark. Uh, he just does stuff. Jesus just does stuff. He's, he's like this man of action. Uh, and especially what he's doing is he's healing people. And he's casting out demons. It's too late now. So now the question is, why does Mark show us this part of Jesus? Why does Mark show Jesus uh, healing and casting out demons? And here's the great mystery of our passage today, to me, right? Uh, the crowds are amazed at Jesus' teaching. Oh, wow, he teaches as one with authority. Now tell me, what was Jesus teaching? Not a clue. Not even a hint. Why would Mark show us these crazy healings in some detail and then only tell us the teaching was amazing but I'm not going to tell you what it was. <laughs> the key word in our passage today is the word authority. I think that's why Mark includes these healings. He includes them because he is trying to show us that Jesus has authority. You know, the crowds, they can tell just from his teaching, they can tell there is something different about this guy. They can tell we should be listening to this guy in a way that we don't listen to other people. And I get that. We get that, right? I mean, you've read the Sermon on the Mount. That thing will blow your mind. I mean, Jesus is an authoritative teacher. But this is the interesting thing about Mark. Mark doesn't want us to think that Jesus only has authority in teaching. Mark includes these healings and exorcisms and things to show us that Jesus has authority not just in teaching, not just in ethical matters, but He has authority over everything. And He illustrates that by showing us that Jesus has authority over even the most out-of-control aspects of our lives. Disease. Demon possession, mental illness, whatever else these things are, they are an obvious sign to any of us who is paying attention that we are not in control of our lives. When you are diagnosed with cancer at age 40, when a depression hits, and will not lift. When kids put bombs 
on the streets of Boston, we realize we are not in control. These things just happen. And we are at their mercy. Mark wants us to see that while we may be at the mercy of these things, Jesus is different. Jesus is not at the mercy of these aspects of our life. He has authority. You know, when I look at a when I look at a bad situation or a disease in somebody's life, I, I'm not as confident as the guy with the sleeping problem. I'm not as confident as him. I, I, I don't know how much of that is physical and how much of that is spiritual. But you know, in a way, I don't think it matters at all. For Mark, the most important thing is not whether it's demon possession or some illness or whatever. The most important thing, what Mark is absolutely convinced of, is that whether it's a demon or just the flu, or whether it's bombs in Boston or buildings collapsing in Bangladesh, whatever it is that makes our lives feel out of control, Jesus has some kind of authority over that. You know, sometimes I think that we expect very little of Jesus. Sometimes I think like we act like, you know, mostly what he has to offer is just really great teaching and like how to live good, moral lives. And that's great. And I love Jesus' teaching. But do we think Jesus can really change things? I mean, in our world today, never mind then and there. I want to know, here and now, the things that are out of control. Can Jesus change it? Is He still as Mark describes him, is he still a man of action? Or is he just a man of words? You know, I expect a lot from medicine. And I expect a lot from science. And I expect that stuff to change my life. I expect that stuff to give me control over parts of my life that feel out of control. I expect a lot from those things. I don't always expect very much from Jesus. I think to myself, you know, he's just a teacher. What's he going to do? What, what, what does he have to do with my addiction? with my cancer, with my mental illness, with the violence in this neighborhood, with this war over the world. He's just a teacher. Now maybe he can change my perspective or something. But can he really do anything about it? 
I mean, doesn't it feel silly sometimes to, to pray for someone who's sick and dying in the hospital on the other side of the country? Or to pray for some war on the other side of the world? I mean, if you're like me, you're thinking, you know what? Physical problems require physical solutions. Like the Central African Republic. What a mess that is right now. They don't need prayer. They, they need economic development. And they need leaders who are not corrupt. AIDS patients in Zimbabwe. They don't need prayer. They need doctors and they need medicine and they need a halfway decent healthcare system. Does someone who's clinically depressed really need Jesus? Or do they just need Zoloft? Right? In all these areas of our lives, in these big and out of control areas of our lives, our attitude can be a lot like this demon. It's like we say, Jesus, what is it to you, man? This stuff doesn't have anything to do with you. I mean, maybe supernatural stuff, maybe that was your thing. But now, your thing is teaching. And you're very good at it. I'll try to pay attention. But here and now, we need medicine. And we need science. We don't need prayer. We need action. People of God, how much authority does your Jesus have Is he just a source of clever moral teaching? Or can he really change your life? You know, Mark's answer to that question is very clear. It's, of course he can change your life. He's changing the whole world. Why is our answer more ambiguous? Well, you know, under the right circumstances, you know, if you look at it from the right angle, you know, he's kind of changing, you know. Why is our answer more ambiguous? I sense that we very sincerely want to believe that Jesus can change things. But we're often discouraged, aren't we? You know, you say, you know, I, I have prayed for this pain to go away for years. I've prayed for this uh, disease to stop, for this depression to lift, for this war to end. I have prayed, others have prayed. It is not for lack of faith. You know, I was thinking about how sometimes when we're discouraged, it is easier to say, it is easier to say that Jesus cannot change my life than it is to say Jesus did not change my life. Right? In some ways, it is more painful, right? It is painful to say that Jesus has authority 
Because if Jesus has authority and my illness gets worse, and if Jesus has authority and that war continues, then it wasn't, it wasn't that he couldn't do it. It's that he didn't do it. Now, Christians have always had different kinds of answers to try to explain, why wouldn't God heal me? What? Why wouldn't God change this situation? It seems so obvious to us. Like, why wouldn't it happen? You know? And we say things like, well, you know, what God is really most interested in is a relationship with us. He doesn't just want to be like a like a genie, kind of rub the lamp and you make your wishes. He wants a real relationship. And, and, and Christians have, have given testimony for centuries that it really seems like the times in our lives when we experience God most closely, when we have the greatest intimacy with God, even the greatest feelings of trust in God, a lot of times that happens not in the good times in our lives, but in the very bad times in our lives. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We talked about the, the, these uh, wilderness places and how it's often in the wilderness that we meet God. And, and then somebody will say, well, you know, uh, we've, you know, we've got a pretty good perspective on our lives and on the world, but it's not a great perspective. You know, if we could see how it fits into the bigger picture, you know, maybe, maybe our experience is quite a bad one, but, but maybe somehow God is working that out into something beautiful. Those are all really important responses to the question. I think they're all right. But I think another response is simply, I don't know. I don't know why the, the pain continues. And that sucks. And so I think it is actually to those people. It is to those of us who have prayed so fervently, who have even prayed so selflessly, it is to those of us who have prayed unendingly but not gotten what we asked. It is to those people that Mark includes these stories. Mark is trying to keep us from having... Mark is trying to keep us from making Jesus too small. He's trying to keep us from saying, oh, you know, he's just a teacher. Mark says he's so much more than that. He's the Savior of the world. He is rolling back all the effects of the curse and sin. Not just your bad ideas, but your addiction. Not just your bad ways of, of thinking, but our diseases. Jesus isn't just saving your soul or your mind. He's saving the world. 
And whether we see that today or tomorrow or when he returns again, it will happen. Your work, your home, your body, Jesus is saving it. He is rolling back the curse from every corner of our lives. Mark wants us to know that Jesus has authority. His plan for us is not a small one. It is a very big one. And you know what that means? It means the demon is wrong. There are not some parts of life that Jesus is good for and other parts of our life where, you know, he should really just mind his own business. Jesus is who we need in every part of our lives. And he knows what we need in every part of our lives. And Mark wants us to know this Jesus, he can be trusted and he is more than up to the task. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, we walk through this life and it seems like a lot of stuff goes wrong. And... It's hard for us to imagine or even consider any way that this could possibly be a good thing. And we're weary and we're frustrated and we're worn out. God, may, may we experience you <laughs> as the Jesus pictured here in Mark. The Jesus we, we proclaim in, in Psalm 103, the one who heals all of our diseases who redeems our life from the pit. Lord, we are desperate for you. And we thank you that you are a God who is able, who can do it. And so we ask that you bring your kingdom in all of its fullness, in all of its beauty, in all of its layers, into every part of our lives. Don't let us get in the way. Save us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.